but I wasn't sure if we, you know, Seinfeld's one thing, half-baked is another. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's too far. Yeah, you don't want people to know that, that we have that kind of taste. Yeah, I don't want yeah. people to know I've seen that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, winner of this year's IBTTA President's Award for Outstanding Customer Service and Marketing Outreach in my position as head of toll booth operations along the highway to the danger zone. There it is. There's that low-hanging fruit. Yeah, you knew it was coming in there somewhere. You blended it nicely, though. It, it yeah, made I a would, nice smoothie. That's because I spent all day working on that. Wow. <laughs> Instead of researching for the episode. <laughs> I skimmed the Wikipedia. I think we're good. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I have a new job, boys. I'm Jeremy Ruggles, the co-host of I'd Buy That for a Dollar. But I am also the new groundskeeper at Bushwood Country Club. Congratulations. Are there any uh, pest control problems you've been having to solve? They told me the last guy did a lousy job, and there's really just one gopher. I don't think it's going to be a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, keep us updated. I will. Are you the gopher of the podcast, Jeremy? I like to metaphorically imagine myself as the gopher within our podcast. Yeah, you see those wave files? Go for it, Jeremy. Wow. Jeremy's all right. Don't nobody worry about him. I'm cutting all that. I hate all that. (laughs) Well, I am co-host Peter Cook, and I was thinking today, fellas, we're in the middle of our third season of I'd Buy That for a Dollar, and we're well over 100 episodes into this venture. The podcast has remained ad-free because we're entirely listener-supported through Patreon. And moving forward, we're looking to grow the podcast and want to start by building our Patreon base. So just as we did at the start of Season 2, to show our appreciation, all of our Patreon supporters will soon be receiving free, limited edition I'd Buy That for a Dollar swag, designed by artist Ellen Vandermeide. This year's swag has a customized Sgt. Pepper theme. The drumhead says, I'd buy that for a dollar instead of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And us co-hosts are illustrated in place of the Beatles, while many of the artists that we've featured on the podcast are the cutouts surrounding our likenesses. And I have to say, it is incredible. Wow, I hope I'm George, and I hope the fourth member is Ringo still. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Wow. That's the case, Jeremy. Well, I want to see it. Well, you can see it either on Instagram at I'd Buy That Podcast or on the I'd Buy That for a Dollar Facebook page. Oh, man. I wish I had already signed up for this Patreon. Those look very rad. Well, don't worry, Jeremy. 
If you're not already a patron, you have until the end of February 2022 to join to receive these cool Season 3 gifts. I mean, that sounds great, Peter, but I probably can't afford it. It's like, what do you guys charge? Like, what do we charge? Is it like 100 bucks a month? Not even close. People can support the podcast for a monthly pledge of $1, $5, $10, or $20. For all. I'm sorry, I couldn't help but uh, drop a few eaves over here. Did you say there is now a $10 tier? That's right, Sean. We've added a new tier to our Patreon. Intriguing. I know that patrons pledging at the $1 tier get early access to new episodes, and I know the $5 tier gets that plus bonus episodes, and the $20 tier gets all of that plus records and a personalized note sent to them in the mail on a monthly basis. What is the $10 tier? The $10 tier gives you early access and bonus episodes plus a monthly music mix put together by the crew. That's all three of us, and I'd buy that for a dollar. Nice. I'm guessing those signed up at the $20 tier will also have access to this mix. You are correct. Well, I've had no success wooing Peter into making me a mixtape, so how do I sign up? <laughs> yes, that's how you'll have to do it, Jeremy. You can simply go to patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast. You can also find the link in the show notes of each episode. Fantastic. Should we tell everyone what the gifts are this season? Oh, right, right, right. So the $1 tier will receive an I'd buy that for a dollar sticker that has the drum head from the Sgt. Pepper cover, but instead it has the name of the show on it. The $5 tier receives the sticker plus a tote bag with the full image of the Sgt. Pepper cover cover tribute the ten dollar tier receives the sticker the tote bag and a mug that has the aforementioned drum head on one side and the three of us the co-host illustrated on the other side no ringo on the mug and the twenty dollar tier receives the sticker the tote bag the mug plus a personalized print of the sergeant pepper image mock-up that we talked about so you mentioned that all of these were painstakingly designed by artist and illustrator Ellen Vandermeid, who also designed our Season 2 Patreon swag, and whose work can be seen at voyagewithellen.com or on Instagram at voyagewithellen. That is right. Incredible stuff. That does sound incredible. When are you going to get this to me? When will I get it? We'll be shipping everything out by the end of April, so you'll have your swag by May. And in the meantime, Patreon supporters can enjoy all of the wonderful handcrafted premium bonus content perks. Certainly correct. Well, since I'm not reading from a script, I'm headed to patreon.com slash I to buy that podcast and or our show notes right now. Beautiful. And I am headed back to the record store. I was there earlier, and I tried selling a Kenny Loggins album, a used Kenny Loggins album, to the clerk. I was trying to get $7 for it. He was a stoner dude wearing a tie-dye, and he told me, 
You want seven bucks for a used Kenny Loggins record? I'll give you five. Did you tell him that you have an autographed copy? I did tell him that I have an autographed copy, and you know what that SOB said to me? What? Uh, oh, I'll give you four. Well, that's just rude. It was truly rude. But, uh, you know, I, I'm going to go back and see if I can sell some other records. But, you know, in the meantime, we have this Kenny Loggins record here. Should we just talk about that? I couldn't sell it. <laughs> well, let's hope Jeremy's done a bunch of research about this record that you tried to get rid of today for our episode. <laughs> yeah, it was Jeremy's copy. <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus. The cheese is thick tonight. I promise to all of you who are just clicked on us for the first time because you saw Kenny Loggins. None of that's normally there, but once a year we do this Patreon push. You happen to catch us on the launch of the Patreon push, but we are in fact going to talk Kenny Loggins' true debut album, Celebrate Me Home, and I'm going to play a song for you. All right. What song are we going to start with, Jeremy? I... I'm going to start you with Enter My Dream. We're talking Side B, track one. That was downright soulful. That was a, a far cry from the semi-obnoxious soundtrack work that many people are probably more familiar with <laughs> when it comes to Kenny Loggins. I went into this album knowing that Bob James had produced it, 
and not really knowing a whole lot about Kenny Loggins as an artist other than The Danger Zone. <laughs> I'm sure I know other songs by him, but this one doesn't really have any of his big hits on it. And I went in expecting to be like, I'll probably not like Kenny Loggins voice and I'll probably love the Bob James production. And I kind of had almost the reverse experience where sometimes the production was a little bit of a barrier for me to, Uh. to enjoying the songs. Uh, Some of it's fantastic, but some of it seems a bit dated to me, but I, I found his voice overall pretty enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, he was a great singer. I mean, this record really shows why he was such a superstar heartthrob at the time. He was a great talent. He wrote some incredible, interesting pop songs. And You speak uh, of him in the past tense. <laughs> he writes some. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about this record specifically. Yeah. And as far as the Bob James production, I'm very, very forgiving with Bob James production, so I'm here for it. Yeah, well, I I had to kind of tell myself that. I was like, do you think... I'm so used to him instrumentally, and and I had to remind myself like how forgiving I am of Bob James albums (laughs) with their production. Yeah, exactly. I think it was just having the added element of a pop song on top of it that maybe brought out some of the cheesier aspects more than when I hear just Bob James stuff instrumentally. Yeah, this feels definitely like it was produced to be a hit. And the the lineup for it says as much. It's ridiculous. But we'll get that we'll get that uh we'll get there. Giant list later. <laughs> yeah. And this is coming off what, like six gold records in a row from Loggins and Messina. So it would make sense that they were trying to make a hit, seeing as how that's pretty much all they had been doing up until this point. Yeah. We'll get there too, Sean. Calm <laughs> I down. I know. I jumped <laughs> I'm just right excited ahead. about Kenny. <laughs> yeah. I, and you should be. I think people our age and down kind of have that mentality of like, oh, he's the guy that did, you know. Footloose and Caddyshack and Top Gun and all these kind of 80s movies. But he had a huge career before any of that. And this is his debut solo album. Yeah, hard to believe. 1977? Yeah, but it's because it's sort of his second debut. He. He kind of failed at making his original debut album, but we'll get there. (laughs) Let's just go back. January 7, 1948. He was born into this world in Everett, Washington, which is kind of near Seattle. If you uh, don't happen to know wherever it is. Then he briefly was a Michigander, lived in Detroit. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. We got a little Kenny in our blood. (laughs) <laughs> I would like to think. And then he moved uh, out to Alhambra, which is pretty much L.A. His parents must have been into the suburbs. They they kept moving to suburbs. Yeah, I saw that he went to a high school in San Gabriel. Correct. Which is where my father was born. Oh. <laughs> in 1948. Oh, the same year as Kenny. But Kenny wasn't there at the time. He was in Washington, right? That makes sense. Yeah. I like to think there's an alternate universe where my father and Kenny Loggins grew up together. 
Wait, did they go to high school together, though? My father, his family moved back to Michigan when he was an infant. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so. Star-crossed, you know? Yeah. So, Kenny formed a band after high school called The Second Helping. They put out three singles on Viva Records, which, once again, blows my mind when these kids just come out of nowhere and get to record actual albums on actual labels. But uh, you can actually find one of those singles, Let Me In, on one of the Pebbles comps. Oh, really? Yeah. That's actually sounded familiar now that I, I knew that he had early roots in that. <laughs> yep. He also, before becoming, you know, Kenny, he played with the new and improved Electric Prunes. Ah, wow. He was also in a band called Gator Creek that I've never heard of, personally. And he wrote a few songs for the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Interesting. I like the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. I know you do. That's why I thought I'd mention it. Thank you, Jeremy. No problem, Peter. So 1970 rolls around. He's like four years out of high school, and he gets taken under the wing of one Jim Messina, who you may know from Poco and Buffalo Springfield. (laughs) Yeah. Poco was the post-Buffalo Springfield band, right? Correct. And he got Kenny signed to Columbia for a six-record deal. And he initially was going to produce Kenny's debut album. And it just kind of, he kind of kept like growing in this collaboration from producer to then he's kind of playing on some stuff and by the time the album's done, it's just a full grown, full blown collaboration. And it's Loggins and Messina, which yeah. maybe you've heard of. They have like five platinum albums. <laughs> so. Yeah, I never knew how that duo collaboration had come to be. And it's funny that, yeah, it just was like, well, while I'm here, <laughs> I guess I'll just join you and we'll be a duo. Yeah, I think he initially saw, you know, Kenny's talent and wanted to help him out and kind of use his name to be like, hey, this guy's cool too. But yeah, it just kind of kept growing and snowballing from there. And and I'm, I'm guessing uh, Jim Messina had seen how his former bandmates had done with just having their names, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, as, <laughs> as the band name. So, all right, let's just be Loggins and Messina. Yeah, and he wasn't super on board for it initially. He got out of Poco and Buffalo Springfield and just wanted to be a producer. He didn't want to be on the road anymore. He was kind of done with all that. And our old pal Clive Davis came around. (laughs) Of course he did. (laughs) And was like, you know, this is once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, old Jimmy boy. You gotta, you gotta sleep on this at least. Give it a chance while chewing on a big cigar, right? Yeah. <laughs> we finally, I have a sense of how Clive Davis talked. But I, I don't know. I was left kind of wondering about that presentation as well, because 
I mean, that once in a lifetime opportunity, that's already happened a few times for Jim Messina at <laughs> yeah. this point. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I have a hard time believing that actually sold him on it. He must have just wanted to do this is my inclination. But mm-hmm. So he did. And they recorded five more studio albums together. Got super famous, cranked out a bunch of hits all through the 70s, platinum records. And I'm going to play another song now. Yeah. Talking about all these hits, I want to hear more music. I'm going to play what is probably the closest song to a hit from this record, I Believe in Love. By the Darkness? Not by the Darkness. (laughs) That's a thing called love. A thing called love. This is more direct. He believes in love. Yeah. We're talking side A, track three. the thumpity thump bass on that one as the bass guy what about the toot toot flutes the toot toot flutes were also nice very smooth production overall though it's this thing was chiseled by many hands all like you're talking the top music playing hands in the business all over all of these songs and then Smooth Boy himself, Bob James, producing, along with Phil Ramone. And who's that? Phil Ramone being B- Billy Joel's producer? Yeah. He also, so every, pretty much every single player on this album has a ridiculous list of people they've also played with. <laughs> yeah. A lot of them were players that were on our 
Bob James touchdown record that we covered too. True. Which was what, just a year after this album? Mm-hmm. So that was 78. Yep. And Eric Gale played on this album, who played on the very last album we featured, Angela Bofo. Exactly. Robin Ford was on acoustic guitar on that song we just listened to. He was one of the early concerts that I saw at the State Theater in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Interesting. Like solo? He had a band with him. I don't remember if they had a a name, but yeah, it was Robin Ford. And it was probably 1996. I had just started playing guitar then. I was 15 or so. So a major influence. Yeah. (laughs) It's the first time I've thought of him since then, but yes. (laughs) Wow. Also, the reason I would say that was the closest to a hit is that song he originally wrote for Barbara Streisand in the movie A Star is Born, the original one. Or the second one? I guess it's the second one, isn't it? That was the Barbara Streisand one, a remake of... I think there's an even older version that it's a remake of. You can correct me in a future segment of For the Record if I'm wrong, though. All right, I'll look into it. But our boy Kenny was originally asked to be the male role in A Star is Born. Opposite Barbara Streisand? Opposite Barbara Streisand. He just contributed the song instead, though, and then turned around and uh, ripped his own version for this album. Very nice. I like that one, that track. I like the bounce, the pulse to it. Yeah, almost all the songs I picked other than that one are the slower ones, but there's a lot of bounce and pulse in this album. It's got some funkiness, some soul influence, I would say, especially in his vocals. Mm -hmm. You hear, well, he worked later on with Michael McDonald, and you can hear kind of some of that influence, or I don't know who's influencing who at that point, but they had uh, similar uh styles i would say in a few of these songs didn't kenny loggins write what a fool believes by the doobie brothers correct yeah and he actually recorded the first version that came out on the album immediately after this album night watch and then the doobie brothers recorded their version and it became much larger we actually covered that album minute by minute in a yeah. previous episode legendary track yeah, I would say that both Michael McDonald and Kenny Loggins were architects of the 70s soft rock, soulful rock sound that was happening. Yeah, It makes sense that they were working together and probably influencing each other as they were going. Yeah, I had an kind of a, not an epiphany per se, but I was listening back through some Loggins and Messina and listening to some of the goofy soundtrack stuff he did later and this album, and I had this sort of vision of Kenny Kenny's throat as like uh, a glass pipe of sorts that's like see-through and unadulterated and kind of whatever you pour into it on one end is sort of what comes out on the other end as well. Like, you pour a jazzy song in, and, like, a jazzy song comes out without, like, his personality or, like, style, like, inflicting too much on that end product. Interesting. 
what his voice on here i don't i'm no production expert but compared to the instrumentation which has the cushioning of the production of the era his voice feels fairly unaffected comparatively like it seems like there's not a whole lot that they're putting on it yeah it's pretty dry and in front yeah it doesn't need it I also think it's interesting how often he's doing his own backing vocals, which you can hear a good example of early on in that last track we played. Yeah, it's him and George Hawkins who plays bass on this record. And quite a few of these tracks, they provide backing vocals. So that's, uh, yeah, interesting. So tell me more about Kenny's journey. Well, from here, Kenny goes on to make a few more platinum records as Kenny Loggins, the solo artist. And after that come the early 80s, that's when he becomes the movie soundtrack guy. He puts out Footloose, the song Footloose, of course. He does the I'm All Right song from Caddyshack. He does the referenced multiple times in this episode, Danger Zone. <laughs> from Top Gun, and that kind of eclipses his whole recording career before it, I would say, and he kind of gets typecast. Uh, He did, he has gone on to continue recording. Sean actually sent us the album cover for his Return to Pooh Corner album. Sean, please tell us about this cover. Well, aside from it being a kid's record called Return to Pooh Corner, which is just a little bit strange. This cover is, there's a lot going on. It's like a slightly cartoonish drawing of Kenny staring intently at this magical pool, and it's a child staring back at him. There's at least one unicorn in the background. The O in Loggins is a crescent moon. It's very, it's magical, but also like, it's a little bit disturbing. That's, uh, I feel like that's the image that is the equivalent of what I hear when a kid's chorus kicks in. <laughs> and I didn't look into this at all, but it is a reference in, to Winnie the Pooh, right? Well, I would guess that, yeah. I mean, you, I haven't uh, thoroughly researched, but taking in the context clues, I believe that is what is being referenced. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't bring myself to go down that kind of research avenue. Because he put out a couple other children's records as well, which he had five children from two marriages, so it makes sense that he went into the dad zone at one point and started making kids' albums. Yeah, I guess that's like Robert Rodriguez, starting with movies like El Mariachi and Desperado, and then making Spy Kids once he had children. Yeah, just like that. I also just kind of mentioned that Return to Pooh Corner was reissued for Record Store Day in 2018, and no one wanted to buy it. Oh, that's sad. It's just it was an odd choice. I thought. Oh, oh yeah, but, you experienced this when you were working in a record store, and it just did not fly off the shelves as anticipated. Uh, I think I anticipated it to not fly off the shelves, and bought like two, and then didn't sell either one. If I remember correctly. You know, if I had known about this, I would have bought one just because I'm feeling really bad about You'd it. You'd have been in line all night it. to get both of them. 
I would have done it. I feel bad for Kenny and Pooh Corner. You don't have to feel bad for Kenny. He's he, yeah, probably he, wealthy beyond our dreams. Yeah. <laughs> would you say that Kenny is all right and that we shouldn't worry about him? Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. Thank you, Sean. Okay, cool. Thank you. Ah, yeah, he released uh, an environmental anthem, Conviction of the Heart, that one former president, former vice president, pardon, some people, you know, still imagine him as a former president. Al Gore <laughs> called this the unofficial anthem of the environmental movement. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. What's the official anthem? I wondered that myself. I assume it, it's a John Denver piece, but John Denver was kind of out of fashion in that era. I assume it's the theme song to the Captain Planet cartoon. <laughs> I was thinking of Captain Planet myself. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me very happy. <laughs> Uh, well, he did, uh, some TV shows. He did Dharma and Greg. He was on Family Guy. You're saying as a as like actor? a character. A character. And I think he sings in the Dharma and Greg episode as well, I read. I don't know. I've never watched it. I don't know. <laughs> you have to ask someone else. I don't I know. Just, yeah. He was also featured on a Thundercat track in 2017. So oh, yeah. As of just a few years ago, he's still uh, recording. Him and Michael McDonald. Yeah. Was that show, Let Me Show You the Way? Yes. Mm -hmm. And the Kenny feature on it is so good, I I just got to say. In fact, that Kenny feature was like the reason I started listening to this record around that time. I was like, oh shit, Kenny's bringing the heat. I got to see which one of his back catalog records is good and quickly found this one. Yeah, there was... An internet blog of sorts. I'm trying to remember how they framed it. It was like, it's their pet sounds or something. And this person would go through and just like review albums that he thought was like the pinnacle of this artist. And this one, Celebrate Me Home, is what he listed for Kenny Loggins. That would be the pickinguprocks.com website. I read that article as well. Highly recommended. And looks like there's some other cool stuff on there to check out. Yeah, once I got over whatever hangups I had about the production on this, I really started to like the record. It grows on you, doesn't it? Like, there's some stuff that'll jump out at you immediately, but I think I didn't like the more up-tempo, bouncy songs as much, but a lot of those kind of grew on me as well. There's a lot going on here. A lot to love. It's funny because I, I think I started liking those more and the slower ones took a little longer for me. But yeah, ultimately, though, I think we can all agree it, it's it's quite a good record. We can all agree. I'm going to play another slow one now <laughs> in honor of Peter. <laughs> we like the same records, just different songs. True. <laughs> We're going to go to Set It Free. Broken window pane 
That track is a good example of the sounds of this that started to really win me over. That's almost dreamlike in its presentation. It's dreamlike, and then I think Bob James really makes that go from what could have been a pretty forgettable track to a really good one. I love the kind of sparse keyboard work he's putting in there with a little bit of echo on it. Just adding more of a groove to those lush dreamy strings behind it yeah it's a quality arrangement through and through got some i'd say some of the better lyrics on this album are in that song which is uh that's what i dig quality lyrics quality lyrics it wasn't on that song but i saw that on one of the songs if you be wise jimmy webb was the lyricist oh true one of the most quality lyricists of all time yeah that was a nice surprise who we discussed on our richard harris episode correct should i i'm just gonna do this ridiculous list and give everyone their their shout outs here so every name i'm gonna say has a list of like 20 other famous names they worked with so i'm just not this is a list of people who have big old lists. And n- nearly every player on here has been on at least one other record we've talked about before. So we got, as mentioned, it was produced by Phil Ramone and Bob James. Bob James throws down a lot of the keyboards you hear on this thing. You also got Richard T playing organ on a few tracks. You got Hiram Bullock playing guitar. You've got Lee Rittenhauer, as mentioned, playing guitar. You got Tommy Tedesco playing mandola and mandolin and some other instrument I never heard of and I'm not even going to try to pronounce. A bazooki. Yeah, it's it's called a bazooki. It's a Greek instrument. Cool. He played that. You got Eric Gale playing guitar, Steve Kahn playing guitar, Robin Ford playing guitar, Hugh McCracken playing guitar <laughs> dean parks playing guitar yeah we've talked about dean parks a number of times <laughs> he was steely dan and all kinds of people 
Yeah, I think a handful of these people played on various Steely Dan albums as yeah. well. Ah, oh, that's all the guitar players, though. And you got Harvey Mason on drums. You also have Steve Gadd on drums. Those are two ridiculous names. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I need two world class session players. Uh, George Hawkins, as mentioned, does background vocals, but he's also the bass man. You got Lauder de Oliveria on percussion. Ralph McDonald on percussion. Yeah, Ralph McDonald's on tons of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we just mentioned him on the Angela Bofill record as well. Oh, I didn't. I, I missed that one too. And on background vocals, we got Patty Austin, Gwen Guthrie, and Lonnie Grooves. Yeah, Gwen Guthrie just came up on the Angela Bofill episode too. <laughs> as did Patty Austin. <laughs> and she did too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So, yeah, this was ridiculous. This is him coming through huge as his actual solo debut after his original solo debut. Got usurped by Messina. Got usurped, and Messina just launched him into superstardom. I I thought it was really funny that the advertisement, like the full-page advertisement for this album kind of went through a whole background of how he had tried to make <laughs> a debut album five years earlier and uh, then you know the whole Loggins and Messina thing happened so here's his true debut <laughs> another there's yeah, a lot of reading. finally gotten round to it Kenny Loggins first <laughs> solo album <laughs> did you find that Sean yeah where, where did you how did you discover that that was a funny uh i think it was on the discogs page somewhere <laughs> i love seeing old ads for albums mm-hmm. it, was, it's, it was a lot of text i'm like wow they really expect people to stop and read <laughs> and he's just on there looking like the most elegant mountain man that ever did live true and now he's out in santa barbara dude's won like 12 grammys he's won a tony an emmy academy award golden globe I forget, there's like some kind of thing where you win all the awards. I don't remember. I don't know if he yeah. did it or not. Seems like he did. The man has officially received his flowers. Is that what that's called? Yeah, give me my flowers while I'm still living. He's got them. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's Kenny. Sean, do you have some records that people can dig into if they dig this Kenny? I absolutely have some recommended, if you like, this Kenny record. First off, the aforementioned Doobie Brothers. We have the episode of Minute by Minute, but I'm recommending their album from 1977, Living on the Fault Line. Same year as this record, and maybe a little bit closer in tone, because that one has more of a jazz influence than Minute by Minute. So highly recommended for that one. Another architect of the smooth jazz smooth pop whatever you want to call it sound michael franks who we have mentioned a few times on playlists and such and i'm sure we'll do an episode on eventually his album the art of tea from 1976 is highly recommended and that one further proves my theory that if you have more than one member of the crusaders in your backing band it cannot be a bad record (laughs) oh that's right i remember i remember that theory it's it's been tested and proven 
Yeah. Many times. <laughs> the, the model remains viable. I like, uh, just, you reminded me, you know, saying in whatever this is called, uh, when we did the bread episode with Steve Plastic Crime Wave Krakow that, you know, a lot of people call this soft rock, but he was like, but they called it light rock back then. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he was particularly upset with the yacht rock term, which we somehow haven't even mentioned yet oh, <laughs> on this we, show. Wow. We almost made this it. episode. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying not to, Sean. Thank you. Wow. Uh, Peter forced me into it. I kind of did, but I didn't have that in mind for once. I was not nefarious. I was just reckless. <laughs> Intentions were pure. <laughs> Third recommendation, another album I've mentioned before, Leon and Mary Russell, the wedding album from 1976. It's slightly different in tone than this one, but I think has some similarities. It's a kind of a fusion of roots styles with some jazz and soul, and there's some uh, good gospel influence that reminds me a lot of the title track on this album, which I'm assuming is the one we'll probably be going out on. But who knows? We'll see. Fourth recommendation, Morgana King's New Beginnings from 1973. Morgana King was a very interesting and unique jazz singer. And New Beginnings was her last album after retiring from music. And it is also produced by Bob James and has some similar atmospheric touches to this one. Highly recommended. Recommendation number five, the Bob James Touchdown record from 1978 that we did an episode on. It's really interesting to listen to his instrumental work and then listen to this album again and just really hear that style adapted for a singer such as Kenny. And then one bonus sixth recommendation, the other Kenny. Kenny Rankin, we did the record Silver Morning Ooh. from 1974 that would be a perfect pairing. The two Kennys. I was just thinking when we kept saying Kenny, I'm like, don't we already have a Kenny on the podcast, Kenny Rankin? You never have enough Kennys. Oops, all Kennys. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What's another Kenny we'll have to cover? Is there a third? Oh, Kenny man. G. Uh, I, I don't know. I think Sean's intent on that happening at some point. Jeremy feels I, I, differently after watching that doc. I may feel a little differently after watching the doc as well, seeing as how Kenny G hates that record. And honestly, the only reason that record is good is because Kashif does the production on it. Like the, the Kenny G solos are kind of the worst part of the whole thing. Yeah, I was pretty ambivalent towards Kenny G. Like no hate, no love, no feelings really. And I've watched that new documentary about him, and now I'm now I'm kind of on the side of the general public who doesn't really like him. <laughs> uh, it, it it gave me a lot to think about. I don't know if I can clearly take a side of being for or against Kenny G after watching that documentary, but I still like the album G Force just because of the the Kashif production, though. <laughs> if if only for Kashif, maybe we'll do that down the road. Maybe you know, we just. <laughs> I'm going to take any chance I can get to sing the praises of Kashif. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we get in our final thoughts, once again, throughout February, we're going to be plugging the Patreon. You sign up, get all kinds, you get, you know, the regular perks of the Patreon plus all the cool swag season three exclusive that goes along with it. So patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast or just click the link in the show notes. You won't regret it. Yeah, now's the time if you want that cool swag. Exactly. What better time? 
Well, I, yeah, I, I'll say, yeah, the first spin of this album, I really wasn't sure where I stood on it, but, uh, I've got one over by the just honestly soulful vocals. And I started to hear the things I liked about the production. I think it was a lot of those, like Sean was just saying a little bit ago, the, the Bob James keyboard decisions and, and, uh, yeah, by the third spin, I was really enjoying this record. I'm glad I spent spent a little more time with it than just hearing it initially and kind of being like, uh, I can see why he has the reputation he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, when you take those kind of preconceived notions about artists into the first spin, it's it's really easy to pass off a good record even when listening to it. Sometimes you really got to give it a few extra plays and start to understand it before it, it makes sense. I personally need to spend some more time with his second record, Night Watch. I liked Celebrate Me Home initially more when I was checking his stuff out, but I know a lot of people really like that second record. Yeah, during the research of this, my brain kind of saw a parallel between Kenny and Isaac Hayes. Okay. And kind of how I feel like our generation you know, sees both of them as sort of cheesy pop material, but they both had this period of serious work as a great artist Yeah, before. Yeah, and I, and I think both of them did a lot of things outside of music later on that people associate with more of a novelty type of factor versus, you know, the serious good music they created. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you could put Rick James on that same list. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, just, I guess you have to think of it this way. If the TV producers are bringing this person in for novelty factor, it's because they're targeting an older demographic that recognizes them for their legitimate artistic merit <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to draw them in. And... Uh, you should go back and look and see what these people did when you see some old-time artists pop up and you're like, eh, Neil Diamond here. Yeah. Go back and look. <laughs> Eventually, it is my goal in this podcast for the people to know about Creed Bratton from The Office. Oh, I don't even the, know about this. He talking was the about gu- the grassroots? Yes, he was the guitarist in the grassroots. <laughs> yeah, you know, funny, while thinking about The Office, going way back to one of our first episodes, something I didn't know when we did our Spirit episode is that Jay Ferguson from Spirit composed the theme to The Office. Holy shit. It's wow. a weird association. <laughs> There's so a little... the office has a whole lot of like <laughs> like sixties musicians influence. Yeah, some some weird cred, weird flex from the office. Yeah. I have to look more into that. Why is that? My conspiracy board grows ever larger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I feel good about what we have done with Kenny Loggins for this episode. I'm lo- I'm looking forward to exploring more of his work, and you'll find it out there cheap, won't you? True. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's, I mean, there's five platinum records as Loggins and Messina, and I think three or four of his solo ones also went platinum. 
So there were tons and tons and tons of these made. So they're out there. Yeah. People don't know, but now they do. Well, as Sean correctly guessed, I'm going to leave you with Celebrate Me Home. This is a song that was not huge in its time, but has kind of come to be, you know, it's canon Kenny Loggins. It's one that's survived its times and is now the most popular song on the album, Sean was saying. It's also my favorite song on the album. Yeah, and it was the, it's the only one that was co-written by Bob James. Oh, that makes sense. Interesting. And, you know, I'd also read that this album took, what, like three years to go platinum? So this record was not an instant success for him, but the whole thing is that it's just remained as a very quality piece of music. It, it made the sales, even though it didn't have the massive hits. I respect that. Very true. All right, let's leave. Celebrate me home. Kenny Loggins. Go check out our Patreon sometime in the month of February so you can get all that cool swag. I'm co-host Jeremy. I'm co-host Sean. And I'm co-host Peter. Celebrate us home.